China, a world-leading economy, a financial and cultural powerhouse, and an endless topic of conversation. In some ways, something of a mystery. Take the country's private debt market, for example. How much do you know about it? Despite China's size, I would contend we know surprisingly little. In this episode of Spotlight, we seek to find out more in conversation with Celia Yan, head of China in the Asian private credit team at BlackRock and an expert on Chinese private debt. We asked Celia where the opportunity set lies, in her view. So we see a combination of distressed and then also gross financing opportunities. I think it's mainly, you know, raised from the, the sharp COVID rebound for China, right? Because China had a really V-shaped economy rebound post the COVID compared to other regions, right? It was the only economy reported a positive GDP of 2.3% last year. So I think it outpaced the global economy last year. I mean, this year's margin will probably be a little bit narrower as we see, you know, the incremental improvement uh, for the other regions. And hopefully the vaccine will actually help us to put the virus slowly under control. So they, in China, you know, we see opportunities definitely raised from the COVID rebound, both, uh, you know, from the sectors that benefiting from the COVID, right? E-commerce sectors, logistics, uh, warehousing, uh, these sectors are definitely benefiting from the COVID as people are actually more relying on deliveries and then, you know, digital tools, etc. And then we also see sectors that was heavily impacted uh, through the COVID, but uh, it's actually currently entering into this recovery space that including the offline retails, tourism, and then, you know, um, we see actually FMBs. So uh, if you look at the, the China, right, I think China is, is going to be a good sort of like indication for how the rest of the world, hopefully it's going to be actually similar, recovering in a similar way as compared to China, right? If you look at the box, basically the box office ticket sales revenue, right, it hits record high for 2021, right? I think the first 21 days, they've already achieved like 10 billion kind of sales. So for these sectors, we, we see opportunities to actually help them to turn around, to recover from the COVID. And then again, you know, like uh, other than the COVID, which is the current sort of health situation we need to deal with, investing in China as an investor, we always need to focus on policy. So why that sharp focus on policy? And what implications do policy decisions have for investors? In fact, they're absolutely fundamental, as Celia goes on to explain. Policy changes and then policy focuses are where the funding gap will be. So if you look at the Chinese government's focus for the next year, it's, uh, you know, they, they talk about a lot about financial stability. So tightening the, you know, lending risk, deleveraging, cracking down the shadow banking, this continue to happen, right? The exercise started about from 2018, but we can see from the signals, they, especially for property sectors, this will continue to be tightening. So we will see opportunities from this area. And then, you know, in the financial uh, services sector as well, in the fintech sectors, uh, that is another area, you know, we could potentially look for opportunity to fill the gap. And then the next one, the government is very much focused on this dual circulation economy strategy. So that including you know, domestic consumptions and then also technology self-reliance, right? So domestic consumption and technology reliance will you know, raise opportunities from different areas. Um, for the technology self-reliance is mainly you know, the decoupling from the states, right? From the supply chain. So we, we see opportunities in the high-tech manufacturing space, the components, the parts. And then for consumptions, I think it's a combination of this geopolitical tension and also the younger generations in China, they are just 
you know, naturally more tends to pro-China local brands. So we see a lot of local consumers, staplers brands actually start to pick up. So that is uh, one area that we could uh, potentially put a little bit more attention. And then the next one, you know, when Chinese government, uh, what they're trying to focus is the ESG and sustainability, right? So ESG and sustainability, I think, are people looked into E a lot. You know, there's a lot of uh, environmental improvement focused area of uh, investment opportunities. But I think, you know, with these recent anti-monopoly rules and then also the equal distribution of income and wealth, you know, focus the government's trying to highlight, I think they would actually potentially, you know, create some opportunities that we can look into to focus on S as well. And then, you know, governance also, you know, governments uh, continue to say they welcome global capital and then global investment capabilities. So I think uh, that will actually provide a better sort of environment for global investors to actually enter into the market. So that's uh, where we see most of the opportunities actually are in China. So with the China angle, but uh, expanding outside of China, I think uh, there are opportunities for private uh, credit investors like ours to actually, uh, you know, focus on will be the areas got impacted by the geopolitical tensions. So that Chinese investors uh, previously expanded uh, outside of China, they may be facing difficulties to raise capital in the local market, or they may be facing you know, issues of the ownership they need to actually sell and then exit. So those are the areas we could potentially focus and then put some money to work as well. So these are the main sort of opportunity sets we've observed for China-related market. Celia maintains that BlackRock is geared up for the opportunity. I ask her whether others are in the same position and whether the level of available capital to invest in China is well matched with the opportunity in her view. You know, I do feel that the supply and demand gap is definitely widening because I think I share this view with a lot of other players in the market is that, you know, uh, as you might be aware, that when people talk about China, right, especially talk about China private credit, it's always about distressed MPL, hot assets, you know, backed lendings. But China has been evolving, right? The economy has been developing into a sort of like a more services-driven sectors, right? Yes, I mean, more services-driven economy. So as, you know, as we continue to sort of grow in the space as private lenders, we start to see the opportunities raised in the asset light and services-driven uh, sectors for ours to get involved as well. And this is actually, if you look at the sponsor finance and if you look at the cash flows and share-backed finance in the States and EMEA, it's quite the percentage of market share is pretty high in terms of how much money they put it to work, you know, compared to the overall money put to work in Asia. So this is definitely an area that we would uh, potentially, you know, explore more. And then, you know, with the policy-wise, right, the government is not really going to relax in any of the lending policies. So we see more and more opportunities actually raised from you know, the traditional sectors, the traditional sector property developers, you know, a lot of the developers, you know, based on the S&P assessments, right, there's quite a lot of developers are actually crossing uh, these three red lines, right? So there will be a lot of stress from these guys to actually refinance. So we will be able to actually fill that gap. So um, overall speaking, I, I feel like the demand and supply gap is huge. And then I think one more thing, you know, worthwhile to mention is the awareness of, you know, private credit investors as alternative funding option. So I think a lot of the corporates, they know the shadow banking guys, right? They know the trust, they know the AMC guys. But as these guys start to sort of like, uh, you know, disappear from the market or, you know, their focus shifted to them, other businesses, they don't really know that the private uh, credit guys can fill the gap. But now I think 
a lot of more players start to actually setting up the shops. So they are helping us to educate the market. So the demand is definitely getting stronger as well. But then the supply is still relatively uh, slim at the moment. That's all from this episode of Spotlight. If you want to hear more episodes, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, and PEI's various titles online. For Private Debt Investor, I'm Andy Thompson. Thanks for listening.